All right. We are in Luke chapter 3. So we're looking at the Gospels story for story. We're in episode 4. We looked at the birth of John and his destiny and Mary and the angel and the shepherds and their encounter with the angel and their evangelism uh, crusade that night and their enthusiasm that, that, um, that overwhelmed them. Now we're looking at, um, at chapter 3. Luke uh, omits the story of the, um, the wise men from the east. Um, that's not part of the nativity uh, story anyway. Um, but he skips ahead. And our next episode begins with John as an adult, fulfilling that calling that was prophesied. Now, John was, he was, a, as you say in Afrikaans, rough and on beskof, you know. He was a wild child. The Bible tells us he wore um, animal skin as clothing and he ate wild honey. I can't even imagine the process of gathering wild honey. I don't even know where to begin. And he ate locusts. There's a, a children's illustration of John dipping a locust into a jar of honey. <laughs> he didn't care what people thought. He, he was a Levite by birth. He was a priest. He should have been in the temple wearing the, the um, ceremonial robes and performing the duties. And, um, but he went the opposite direction. He went into the wilderness. He wasn't, I can't imagine maybe he wasn't a people person. He, he was, you know, not a... A, a, a charming person. <laughs> That's my opinion, okay? But if you prefer the solitude of the wilderness, you know, I'm sure you're a personality type that goes along with that kind of, of uh, preference. He didn't go to the people. The people came to him. And imagine... Um, a crowd of 10 or some travelers passing by and he begins preaching and more people stick around and eventually they go and tell others and soon enough a massive crowd forms. In Luke chapter 1, he tells us um, exactly the period of time this happens. Herod, the tetriarch, was in power. Herod the Great's 
uh, had passed away. Um, and so a part of the empire was now in control of um, his uh, descendant. Um, <coughs> but this was a wicked man. It tells us that Pontius Pilate was uh, um, the, the prefecture of the area. He came into power in 26 AD. Uh, we know that from history. And the high priests, Ananias and Caiaphas, and they would both be present at the legal uh, trial Jesus had on the night of his on the day of his crucifixion. So these are major uh, players throughout the entire gospel, and they're introduced. And he says, during this time <coughs> of these great rulers and these important people, there was a man. <laughs> he went into the wilderness around the Jordan and he preached repentance that was the summary of the sermon that we hear here in Luke it says he preached many other things and exhorted many other things to the people but we are given a glimpse here so as the people are gathering, I can imagine perhaps uh, on the banks of the river, you know, I, I, I picture it in my mind, even if it didn't exactly happen like that. <clears throat> and this wild man started preaching and he got their attention quickly. We're going to look at his sermon. So it's a sermon about a sermon. Okay, and it begins in verse 7. Before that, he, um, we're told about Isaiah again. The prophecy is repeated from Isaiah 40. Make way, uh, the way of the Lord, a voice calling in the wilderness. And then it quotes from Isaiah, it says, the voice of one crying in the wind, prepare the way of the Lord, and then make the path straight. Every valley will be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and every crooked way shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth, <laughs> and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. We're not talking about physical roadways here, but we're going to jump back to this um, in a little bit. So he, he sees the crowd and he says this, you children of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? We tried running away when we get in trouble, Hendrik. As young children, like, okay, I, I am, I'm dead meat now. I'm in trouble. Where do we run to? <laughs> There's nowhere to run. You see, we cannot run. The option is to repent 
And he says this, therefore, you try and run in futility. Therefore, rather, bear fruit worthy of repentance. What does fruit worthy of repentance look like? What does it look like to walk worthy of our calling? I thought we can't do anything to earn our salvation. That's true. We're not trying to earn our salvation. <laughs> We're trying to live the life that we have been empowered to live through the salvation that we have already received. Repentance, I love the, the, the Hebrew has, um, in the Old Testament when it uses the word repentance, it has such a, a fuller meaning. It's not only uh, turning away from the things that are wrong, it has the idea of to return, <laughs> to, to turn away from those things, but to then turn back to God. That is the full idea of repentance. To walk, um, to bear fruit worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourself, well, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children from Abraham, even now, um, from these stones. So there was, was the wilderness of Judea. There were stones everywhere. <laughs> For every one little plant, there was a hundred rocks. So what form does repentance take? Well, he, he goes on to address repentance in very uh, specific terms. Um, but it begins with humility. That we are saved not because of who we are or who our fathers are, but because of God, of what God has done to acknowledge that it is from Him and He is the, the, the origin and the author of our salvation. <clears throat> Metaphorically, um, He could turn a stony heart into a softened, receptive heart. And he does that through the conviction of his spirit. So it begins with humbling our pride and lowering those mountains, those hills will be brought low. The hills of pride and, and arrogance and um, self-importance that keep us from repentance from admitting our sins and our flaws and asking God to save us. Then the people ask, um, sorry, then it goes, even now the axe is laid to the tree. So he warns them, 
this is it. This is imminent. If we do not repent as, as a nation of Israel, it's going to be bad. <laughs> this is the, the final straw. He's coming. It's imminent. Repent now. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The people asked him, then, what should we do? This is then the substance of repentance, is the actions that we take after we have admitted our wrongs. As a child, to be dishonest, and I would be found out and get in trouble and be punished, and then there wouldn't be peace until I'm sorry for lying. I would do that again. I'll try and be more honest. And that is the substance of repentance. The action that follows our confession. <clears throat> and that is what it means to bear fruit as believers. So then he addresses one here. A common one. One that I'm sure we have all encountered he says, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And who hears food, let him do likewise. Broadly, to do, uh, to show goodwill to others. What if we had to repent of a life of... Um, self-importance or self-indulgence or covetousness or envy? What if we had to repent of a life of bitterness and anger towards others and there was no goodwill in our actions? We always thought cynically and we always acted um, pessimistically and um, uh, distrustworthy of others. And we always demanded, and we always lived um, to only please ourselves. The world revolves around us. And we experience the saving faith of God in Christ. And then we repent. I'm sorry for my selfishness, for my, for my um, pridefulness, for my bitterness towards others. The action then that must follow as we start living our new life in Christ 
would be goodwill, would be charity, would be um, selflessness. Another group of people asked him, uh, the tax collectors, um, traditionally the tax collectors actually consisted of Jewish citizens and they were hated by their, their, um, their peers, not necessarily because they worked for the Romans, although that was a big part of it, but because they were corrupt, they would ex extort money from their countrymen. The Roman uh, officials require this much, but we're going to add 5% onto that. So your tax this month is 15%, but we're going to pocket the 5%. And that was a common practice because they had the authority of the Romans, and the Romans didn't care what happened between the people as long as they got their taxes. And he says, John answered, um, collect no more than what is appointed to you. What if you lived a life of dishonesty? You cheated people in business, in um, dealings. You lied to friends and family for, for gain. You, you, you used your position um, in work or in any other area of life um, uh, and abused authority to, to gain, <laughs> even in small measures. What, what would repentance look like after that? I'm going to pay back the things that I stole. I'm going to start living honestly. I'm going to... <laughs> make changes where I am only collected what I, what I am owed, what I worked for, what is due to me. And I'm going to stop cheating people out of things and living corruptly in my dealings with others. That would be the substance of repentance. That would be what follow. Lord, I am a sinner. Please forgive me. Save me. I place my faith in Jesus Christ that he died for me on the cross. And then as a new being, as a new creature, empowered for the indwelling of the Spirit, we need then to make action. And the third example, the soldiers. Men of violence would use their brute to get their way, would, um, uh, history tells us, would often take uh, hostages or prisoners of war and um, hold them captive for ransom money. Or, again, they would abuse their power, but... Um, but seek war, to, to seek violence, to seek harm, and to, to, um, 
to enjoy that. And then we repent of that kind of life. Do no violence to anyone, nor accuse any falsely. And again, be content with your wages. You lived your life looking for a fight. You lived your life seeking violence, seeking harm to yourself, to others. Repentance would then be to seek peace, to not continue in that way of life and accuse any falsely you know we can there's more ways to hurt people than just with our hands maybe we apologize <laughs> to the people that we hurt in our lives we reach out to them and we confess our wrong to them as well This is the substance of repentance and the, um, the theme of John's sermon. And then he ends with a final word of warning. As the people were in expectation, they thought to themselves, is this the guy? Is this the guy we're waiting for? <laughs> he speaks with authority. He, he goes against the grain. He... he he scoffs in, in the face of the wicked rulers. Is this him? Is this the Christ? John, perhaps being prompted by the Spirit, knowing their hearts, was led to correct them. And he says, Um... I indeed baptize with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose strings of those shoes I am not worthy to untie. There's a big gap between the one laying, uh, making the path straight and the one that would walk in it. Um, according to uh, history when a royal delegation would make its way through the wilderness people would be sent out ahead of him and they would remove stones and they would fill in potholes and they would um, literally build bridges <laughs> to make the journey of this royal delegation less hazardous and more straight and there was one right behind you see john preached um, the word but jesus is the word and john came in the spirit of elijah but jesus is the incarnation of god when we think god <laughs> you think an old man with a white beard <laughs> says when we think about god there he is in the flesh, Jesus Christ. 
He says, but one mightier than I is coming, yes. Uh, and he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Those two things are two different things. And he draws a line in the sand and he says, if you repent, you realize your need for salvation. You realize that you're a sinner and you are ready to change. We're baptized with the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, into a new life. But on the other side of the line, if you continue to rebel, if you continue to reject the love of God and live your own life in the darkness of the world and continue on that path, well, there will be another immersion as well. And it's not going to be pleasant. This is the reality. This is why preaching repentance is it's difficult. He continues, and we know this is what he means because he uses an illustration of a, of a, a threshing floor to separate the wheat, the good stuff, the grain, from the chaff, the old dry leaves. His fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly cleanse his threshing floor. He will gather up the wheat, and he will burn the chaff with unquenching fire. And then he preached many other things. The love of God is a wonderful thing that Jesus Christ came willingly into this world to die for us on the cross so that we may be reconciled to God. But there is a line drawn in the sand. So this morning, here's the application. We can go one of two ways. We can be reminded as believers, as child, ch children of God, that repentance is a continuous act. We have to live the life <laughs> that we said we are returning to. We have to move away from the life that we have repented from. And we do that in the power of the Spirit, yes. But it doesn't just happen. Sometimes to fully embrace our Christian walk, it takes time. But I, I, I'm always amazed at this story. Bill Mayer, one of the missionaries we support, um, he lived wickedly. He, he lived 
for his own pleasure and his own satisfaction. And when he got saved, um, he, was, he was an alcoholic. And that day, he took thousands of rands worth of alcohol into the street and he poured it down the drain. I need a change. <laughs> I bet. I haven't heard his testimony in a while. Sometimes the change happens, but sometimes it takes longer. And that daily struggle, that, that, that old life still clings to us. So the substance of repentance, but the result of the repentance is a continuous um, striving to live out what you have repented from. It's called sanctification. The other way you can apply this into your life today is in sharing the gospel. We can water it down. We can make it more palpable on the tongue. And we can preach the gospel and not mention sin, not mention our need for repentance, our need for a changed life, not mention the holiness of God and the gap that is filled through um, the blood of Christ, then it's not the gospel. And yes, it might offend someone. Nobody wants to hear that they don't have something they need. That there is an urgency when you share the gospel. Think of these three things. Think of your own testimony and who you were before you accepted Christ. And don't leave that out. The love of Christ is a wonderful thing. but it, his love is so stifled and dull if we don't look at it in light of his holiness and his righteousness and how far we have to go. It's impossible. That's why we need a savior. People need to understand their need for a savior before they can be saved. So go home today and preach the gospel fully when you do evangelize at work or at home or in the streets or wherever you may find yourself. Don't be afraid if people take offense. Do it in love. But don't water it down. Or 
be reminded of what we have been, what we repented of, and live more fully as Brother Doug is teaching, and as uh, John said, bear fruits worthy of repentance. If you repented 10, 15, 20 years ago, or yesterday, does your life bear the fruits worthy of that repentance? As a six-year-old boy, I was, we were all caught in an act of disobedience. Where my mother said, I can't trust you with this anymore. And that broke my heart. <laughs> that I was dishonest to a point where my mother said, I can't trust you anymore. And it took me a long time I wasn't six-year-old, I was much older, and there was a much more serious incident. But in some small measure, I, I was truly repentant to my mother. I, I wanted her to trust me. And um, although <laughs> I didn't turn my life around, I never did that again. To restore that trust. That was my goal. So to bear fruit worthy of what we had repented from. That is the essence of John's message. He was eventually imprisoned because he um, reprimanded uh, Herod the Tetrarch for um, uh, his he stole his um, brother's wife. Philip was also a, a tetrarch, a, a leader of one of the Roman regions, and um, he stole his wife, Herodas. Um, by the way, they were related by blood, but what's an incestuous marriage if you've got all these other wicked things going on for you? And... John spoke out against this marriage and this woman, um, and very soon after, he was imprisoned and eventually uh, put to death. And that's the story of John. But his story doesn't quite end, and we're going to look at that next week where Jesus is baptized. Because if there's one thing that we, we must leave with after reading the gospel fully, or the gospels, is a better understanding, a more full understanding of who Christ is in all his aspects of humanity and, godly, and godhood. It tells his story and his teachings. And we're going to see that more and more as we look through John. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we do thank you for 
this time to see all these faces again after such a long time is so wonderful. I've missed them dearly and um, continue to pray for the struggles we all face and that we may encourage each other as a church and continue to to grow together. I thank you for this time now, this time of worship. And Lord, we lay our burdens at your feet and we repent. Please forgive us of our pride, of our bloodlust, of our self-importance. And Lord, that we may bring glory to you through our words and our deeds and our actions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.